by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we're going to talk about Moses today. We're going to talk about, uh, we're really going to talk about the presence of God and how important it is in our lives. You know, when Moses was 80 years old, he was, he was a shepherd, and he was walking his flocks through uh, the wilderness, and, and not a really prestigious job. You wouldn't think Moses was a shepherd, but he was, and he sees a burning bush. Just in the middle of nowhere, a bush is on fire. Now, that's kind of strange by itself because there's, you know, no lightning has struck recently. <laughs> Why is that bush on fire? So he turns aside to take a look, and it gets more strange as he gets closer because the bush is on fire, but the leaves are not being consumed. And we'll pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3. Let me find it real quick. Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. It says, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. You know the Lord has been waiting on you to turn aside to look his way. And so Moses turned aside to look. What if Moses wasn't, wasn't looking, wasn't paying attention to really what's going on in the world? What if he wasn't looking for God? Would we have ever even heard of the name Moses? But Moses... He turned aside to look, and when the Lord saw it, it says, God called to him from the midst of the bush. Isn't that amazing? God can call to you from wherever or however he wants to. He talked to somebody through a donkey one time. He can speak through me as your, your pastor. He can speak through Nicholas. He can speak through my wife, Angie. He can speak through your children. He can speak through a bush if he wants to. But God is trying to get you to turn aside and look and listen because God is speaking. And he called to him from the midst of the bush and he said, Moses, Moses. Now when God calls your name, the God of all the universe calls your name, wow. And he said, Moses said, here I am. And then he said, then God said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. When I saw that, I said, well, where's this place? That's where I want to go. And sure enough, right there in the text, it tells us that it's in Mount Horeb. Or some people may call it Mount Sinai. It's two names for the same mountain. Where is this holy place? Boy, I got to get there. Well, we see that later on, this is the same mountain on which Moses climbed. To get the Ten Commandments. It's a place where God would meet with Moses. And one time Moses spent 40 days up there fasting. And didn't need anything but the presence of God. He comes down with the Ten Commandments. And those knuckleheads are down there. Have formed a golden calf and are partying at the foot of the mountain. 
thinking nothing about the things of God. What's so special about Mount Horeb? Are, are the rocks magical? Is, it, is there something about the, the stones there? Because if, if it's a holy place, I want to go live there. I'll move there today. If, it, if God's presence is there all the time, that's where I want to go. But no, I don't think it, the place itself or the rocks were unusual. What was unusual is God's presence was there. That's what made Mount Horeb holy. And it was only when God's presence was there. It was simply a place that God had chosen to speak with Moses. Do you have a secret place with God? Psalms 91 says, He who dwelleth in the, or in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I want to be under that shadow. I want to be under the protection of God. But I've got to have a secret place, where a holy place where I find God's presence. If we look at Moses' life, he lived to be 120 years old, and it's almost broken the segments of 40. We see the first 40 years, he grew up in Pharaoh's house in Egypt. You remember he was put as a baby into a basket in the Nile River, and Pharaoh's daughter found him. He became a grandson of Pharaoh. She brought him into the house. He had the best education. He had all the money, the power, the prestige. He, he became a little cocky. As he grew up, he was told the story about how he was pulled out of the river and how he was actually a Hebrew adopted into the Egyptian way of life. And when he found that, he had a desire to deliver his Hebrew kinsmen from their slavery in Egypt. He said, I can be a deliverer. I can do this. And he tried to do it in his own strength. It failed miserably. He ended up being a murderer, in fact. He had to flee from Egypt. He got himself in big trouble thinking he could do it. And he fleed. He fleed. Is that a word? It is today. He fleed Egypt. And uh, he found a wife in the desert of Midian. And for the next 40 years, the second 40 years of his life, he spends coming to the end of his cockiness, coming to the end of himself. He spent 40 years filling, it, filling himself and 40 years emptying himself. Now, I know maybe some of you are in that same predicament. Maybe you haven't got to the end of yourself yet. And, and maybe you're still full of yourself, still thinking that you can do it. Or maybe you've got to that second 40 years where you realize you can't do it. And now you're in the process of being humbled. <laughs> and I know what that's like. I, I feel like I'm still in that process of coming completely emptying myself so that God can fill me for the next 40 years or, or the, however long I have left for the rest of my life can be used in service to the Lord. Not just what I can offer the Lord. All I can offer the Lord really is all of me. And his presence in my life will do the rest. So by the time Moses is 80 years old and he sees the burning bush, God says, I want you to deliver my people, my slaves. They've made them slaves in Egypt. The, the very thing that Moses had wanted to do anyway, now... Moses says, who am I to deliver 
these people. That's what he said to God. Now he's come to the end of himself. But God now says, this time, Moses, I will be with you. It's going to be different this time. Do you know life can be different if God is in control of your life? By the end of this next 40 years, we know that Moses delivered them through the ten plagues. God did it. He was just God's mouthpiece and held the staff, you know, and God did the rest. But by Exodus 33, 15, he says, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Moses said, I, I just got nowhere to be if it ain't with you, God. I got nowhere to go if you're not going. In fact, I'm not going if you're not going. I need you in my life. Your presence makes all the difference in my life. How else do you go from tending sheep to parting the Red Sea? How else do you do it? God's presence. Now, I know a lot of people don't seek God's presence. Well, they say they do. You know, they go to church. They may read their Bible once a month or so. You know, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of you. I, I, did, I used to be like that too. I, I was looking for the easy. I just wanted what was easy. I wanted barely enough to skate into heaven on. I was like, you know, as long as it don't interfere with what I, my plans are, I, I, I don't mind God's presence, but I'm really not really ready to work for it. You know, I was satisfied with the world's counterfeits. I thought I knew what peace was. I thought I knew what joy was. Oh, I, 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 had, I, had, I was blessed. It's easy to feel blessed here in America. But they're counterfeits. The psalmist Asaph said in Psalms 73, 28, but as for me, oh, how good it is to be near God. How good it is. To be near God. Have you ever been mowing your lawn on a hot August day here in the Mid-South? There's not a breeze for miles around. You're sweating, sweat all in your eyes. Your hair's wet. Your clothes are, are wet. You got mud and grass all up on your socks for when the weed eater threw it up on you. And it's just stifling hot. Well, I'm blessed to have a pool at my house. And when this, this happens, often... I run back there to the pool, and I will take off them socks and shoes, but I won't even bother to take off my shirt. I don't have a bathing suit on, but it doesn't stop me from being like a little kid. I'll go down to that deep end, and I'll just, I'll just dive right in. And I'm telling you, as I go into that cool, crystal clear water, oh, what a refreshing, oh, how exhilarating it is. And I'll hold my breath as long as I can and just stay under that water because it's a feeling that you can't describe. Maybe you've, maybe you've felt that before. And, and the, the dirt and the grime of all my activities is, seems to wash off of me. Well, in Acts 3.19, it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted. Repent means to turn away from what you thought was important. And God's saying, turn away from that and turn to me. And I once thought I was saved, and maybe I was saved, but I wasn't living for God. I wasn't converted. So repent and convert your lifestyle, your ways into God. 
that your sins may be blotted out, washed clean, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Say refreshing. It is so refreshing to be in God's presence. That's what I'm trying to get across to you today. That's what I want you to see. That we were created to enjoy God's refreshing presence. Even way back in the Garden of Eden. But that was, it. That was early in Genesis. By Genesis chapter 3, we already have it said in verse 8, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, yay, the man and the wife, Adam and Eve, heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Well, that's a good thing. But it says, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. They hid from his cool, refreshing breeze. Why? Why would any of us hide from a loving God? You know the answer to that. The three-letter word, sin. But where sin did abound. My friends, grace did much more abound as we talked about last week. God always had a plan. He wasn't going to let sin win. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. By the blood of Christ. My friends, you can be brought near by the blood of Christ. And that's what we're talking about, coming closer. Not running from, but coming closer to the life source. You have been brought near by the very blood of his own son. The precious blood of Jesus. Back in the Old Testament, my friend, only the priest were carriers of God's presence. God had confined his presence to a little box called the Ark of the Covenant. And they would put poles through the side of it when they had to move it. And the priest would carry it on their shoulders. And only the priest carried God's presence. But guess what? In the New Testament, because of the blood of Jesus, we've all been made kings and priests unto our God. And we can boldly become, come before his throne of grace in our time of need. Anytime, anywhere, we can shut the world out and we can come into the presence of a living God and obtain mercy and grace in our time of need. It's beautiful. A man named Ryan Lister, he writes this. First, the Bible makes clear that the presence of God is a central goal in God's redemptive mission. All of God's work ends with the Lord dwelling with man. That is why he came, so that we could be drawn near, so that we could be one, in fact. He says, second, the presence of God is not only an objective, it is the means by which the redemptive mission is fulfilled. In other words, God himself through the Lord Jesus Christ came near. He sent his presence 
to accomplish this mission. God writes himself into our own story to bring about this salvation. He says to understand our Bibles and how it changes us, we need to know God's presence. That's God's plan all along so that we could be near, we could be family, we could be one. And when sin separated us, he sent his own son Jesus to be near, to be one of us. To take our penalty that we could be made back together. Not even just side by side, but inside. God's presence is never far off. Even when you don't feel it. There's a story of Jacob in the Old Testament. He's running from his brother Esau because he stole his birthright. He's quite a character. And he's on his way to his uncle's house, and he gets almost there, and he stops at this place called Bethel. And he's out in the middle of nowhere, and he lays down for the night, and he takes a little stone, and he uses it for a pillow, and lays his head on it. And as he goes to sleep, he gets a dream. And this is a dream from God. And in his dream, he sees this stairway going straight up into heaven. And there's angels ascending and descending because angels can come between heaven and earth, right? They can go into the presence of God. And the Lord himself is standing at the top of the stairway. And the Lord tells Jacob that the place where you're laying your head, I'm going to give to you. You're going to go, but you're going to come back, and I'm going to bring you back safely, and I'm going to give you. And he made all these promises to Jacob in this dream. And in Genesis 28, verses 16 and 17, it says, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. See, he, he wasn't expecting God when he went to bed. He's just on a journey. He didn't feel God's presence before he went to bed. But he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. There's a stairway. Angels ascending and descending. And I can see the Lord at the top of these stairs. There's a gateway. There's a stairway to heaven. What an awesome place this is. This must be the house of God. And the name Bethel means the house of God. But I've got even better news for you, you New Testament believer, you. Now your heart is that awesome place. Now the presence of God dwells in you. You are the house of God. You are the temple of the living God. And you have the gateway to heaven that you can climb yourself, my friend. You can take that stairway. You can climb that mountain like Moses did. God's presence is available to you. And he desires for you to have it. 
What makes heaven heaven? What makes us desire heaven? I'll tell you what makes heaven heaven. It is God's presence. That's what makes heaven heaven. Some people may say, well, we know that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He can be everywhere all at the same time. Somebody might take it to an extreme and be in error and say God is in the rock. God is the plant. God is everything. That's not true. But God can be everywhere. He can be with you your whole life. But the Bible doesn't just stress an omnipresence. The Bible stresses a manifested presence. That means something I can feel. Tangible. Something I can reach out and touch. So many times in my life I've entered in to that manifested presence. I feel like it's here today. God's presence is always with you. But the manifested presence of God must be something that you seek after. Because he will not go farther with you than your will will allow. Do you understand that? He's not going to impose his presence on you. But he says, those who seek shall find. Those who hunger and thirst will be filled. He says, draw nigh to me, and I will draw nigh to you in James 4, 8. Well, pastor, you, you've got me stirred up. I, I want to experience the, the presence of God. How do I seek? How do I cultivate that hunger for his presence? How do I draw nigh to God? Are you ready? You ready to write this down? Pray. Worship. Fast. Meditate on his word. Ah, oh, pastor. Here we, how'd we get back here, pastor? This is what you preach all the time. Hello? <laughs> this, he's in the still, small voice, you see. I know how you feel. I spend my life, this is my purpose, is to hear from God and to, to reveal what, his message to you on Sundays and to love you and to, to take his love and, and share it with others. I love what I'm called to do. But even so, sometimes I, I grow weary and praying. I say, it feels like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all the talking here. I'm not hearing you enough back. And, and it has to engage my brain so directly that it's like uh, can I just watch TV for a moment or you know we want to veg but as a society we've vegged too much too long too often and nobody wants to use their brain for anything much less engage their spirit and their soul anymore but I can tell you this sometimes I have to fight through my flesh to enter into the presence of God absolutely I'm not perfect. I still have to fight to get into the presence of God. But I have never once in my life got in the presence of God when I walked away and regretted it. When I wasn't the most blessed for having had an encounter with my God. Never once did I not walk away 
blessed. It is worth it, my friend. It is worth it. I don't know what the excuses are. I've got them too. I'm busy, this, that. I got this going on. You have to make time for what's most important in your life. And some, sometimes I think, well, I'm there just to get the message. I'm like, me and God, I need your hand, God. Tell me what to tell the people, and, and, I, and I can get in that mode too. But this, it shouldn't be always like that. It shouldn't be us just telling God everything. It should be a dialogue, not just a monologue. We should listen to God. We should. But, you know, I enjoy my wife's, Angie's presence as well. And, you know, me and Angie, we don't even have to talk sometimes. We can just sit together. We can embrace and just enjoy being together. And it's like that with God. Sometimes I've learned not to come with an agenda to God, but just to be with Him. Is there a protocol when you come in the presence of royalty? If you were to go to England and meet with, who is it, Queen Elizabeth, would there be protocol when you came into her presence, things you should bow, you should do these things? What is God's protocol? What are the things that will, will turn away God's presence? Well, 1 John 4.16 says, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Are you holding unforgiveness against someone? Are you got ought against your brother? The Bible says if, you, if you're treating your wife bad, God doesn't even hear your prayers. Get your heart right before you come into the presence of God. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In Hebrews 12, 14, it says those who are not holy, will not see the Lord. Is sin more important to you than the presence of God? Now, I'm not saying we don't all struggle against temptation. We often fall. But if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Why can't you do that? And why can't you repent of the sin? Why can't you, why can't you struggle against the sin and, instead of letting the sin win? Because you are so hungry to live in the presence of God. Not to say that you have to be perfect or holy to get in God's presence. No, not at all. You just need to come humbly with a repentant heart full of love. And God says, come on in, my child. Another thing I would say is refusing the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God, is akin to shutting a door in God's face. <laughs> you want my presence, but you don't want my spirit? How does that work? Jesus said, I go away, but I send another. I'm sending a comforter to you. I'm sending my spirit to dwell in you. That's why I came, remember? And you want to deny the Holy Spirit or say, oh, our church doesn't believe in that. My friends, read chapter, John chapter 14 again, please. 
please. Because supernatural things spook you? Really? We serve a supernatural God. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Please do not push away the Holy Spirit from your life. Of course, the church should know God's presence. Absolutely. Matthew says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That's why we gather. We're here to prepare a people for God's presence. That's what we do. We're here to prepare a world for the, his soon return. Psalms 140.13 says, Surely righteous people are praising your name. Surely they are. Surely we come to church to praise God. Surely we don't skip worship on purpose. Surely righteous people are praising your name. The godly will live in your presence. See, that's our desire as godly people, to live in the presence of God. So what do we do as a church? How do we ensure that the presence of God is in our church? Well, in the Old Testament, we have an example of Solomon building the first temple, Solomon's temple. And God gave him exact specifications. So how do you build a church? You listen to God's voice and you do exactly what he says. And I can say, as long as I've been pastor here, I, I was like that Moses that said, God, if you're not going with us, we're not going. I don't want to do my thing. So we listen to the voice of God and we obey. And we put this church together by his exact specifications. Another thing that happened when they uh, brought the ark into the new temple is that God's people had filled the temple with temple treasuries. They had filled the temple treasuries. There was no lack in the house of God. Everybody was tithing. Everybody was bringing offerings. They were glad to do it. They were cheerful givers. Another thing is that they all came. <laughs> that seems funny, doesn't it? Oh, what an unfaithful generation we live in. People think if I go to church once a month, I've done my duty. That's not it, my friend. They all came. They all purified themselves. Before they came, they purified themselves so that when they can walk in that room, they were expecting the presence of God, and there was heartfelt praise. Just like we experienced with Chad and Kaylee this morning. Heartfelt. Chad and Kaylee are not performers. They are worshipers. That's why Kaylee is our, our worship leader here at the church, not because of her gifts and abilities, but because of her heart to worship. Second Chronicles, chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, tell what happened in that temple as it was dedicated that day. The trumpeteers and the singers performed together in unison. There was harmony. They performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. They raised their voice and they praised the Lord with these words, He is good, and His faithful love endures forever. 
You know, I started to let Chad and Kaylee know this morning that I was going to be teaching on the presence of God so that they might could choose some songs that would to fit. But I, we just don't do that around here. We let everyone hear from the Holy Spirit. Guys, you heard from the Holy Spirit this morning. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priest could not continue the service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. Oh, if that's not a manifested presence, I don't know what is. A cloud filled the temple to the, to the priest couldn't get his words out anymore. We've been to that place in our church where it's just, I can't do anything. I can't get my breath. Because the presence of God is so thick in this place. And I'm telling you, church, we're getting back to that. We are seeking after that. We want the presence of God in our temple. Why? Psalms 16:11 says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You want fullness of joy? You want pleasures forevermore? Nicholas and Angie talked earlier about how the world offers counterfeits, but God gives the real. Do you want these things? Well, there's a path, my friend. It's called the path of life. And Jesus is that way. Jesus himself is the path. His name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you see what I'm, the good news that I'm telling you, God has always wanted to be with you. He still does. Despite all that stuff you've done, all the stuff I've done, he still wants me to experience that fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. In his presence, we stand on holy ground, joyfully refreshed, full of purpose and power, have, having commuted, communion with God himself. Oh, I remember when I first got saved, I think it was like November 1997 or somewhere in there. You know, not everything fell off me at once. I, I was still playing rock and roll music in the nightclubs. I was still drinking a little bit, but I was going to church on Sunday morning. But I began to seek God. And I remember getting in my prayer closet one night. And I put towels underneath the bottom of the door and cut off all the lights so there was no light whatsoever. I didn't want any distractions. I just wanted to be with God. And he had begun to show himself to me. You know, he never showed himself to me until after I was saved. I guess he didn't want to cloud my decision-making process. But I was in that dark closet. And I don't know how to describe to you what happened. Only this that I had an experience with God. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, 
I don't know. I couldn't see a thing. But I sure didn't feel like I was in my body. Well, that next day was Super Bowl Sunday. I don't remember who was playing or anything like that now, but I remember I went over to my brother's house. And I sat on the couch, and as was our custom, he brought me a Budweiser bottle of beer and set it in for me. And out of habit, I twisted the top off, and I was about to put that to my lips. And the thought hit me. You've just met with God himself. The God of the universe just came and sat with you last night. I looked at that beer and I set it down. I told my brother Heath, I said, Heath, I don't drink anymore. And I hadn't drank since then. I was delivered. I'm telling you. There's something about the presence of God that you can't go back. Once you've encountered God himself and you know that you know, you're in that pool. There ain't no denying there's water in it. You can tell me all day that it ain't real, that there ain't no water in that pool, but brother, I'm swimming. And you'll never be able to convince me. I'm going to close with this, something I wrote last night. I don't know, I hope it doesn't sound cheesy to you, but it sounds real to me. I wrote, I am no longer after knowledge about the Lord. I am after Him. Because I have stood on the holy ground of His presence, the foundations of my faith have been firmly established. Old doubts don't stand a chance. I've been too far. A tiny taste of the hope to come has invaded my reality. A glimpse into his glory is not something that you can easily come back from. It shapes who you are and who you want to be. It creates a constant desire for more of him. He is everything I adore, everything that makes me alive. I can never be the same. Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Let's pray. Father, I pray if there be any unbelievers, if there be any lost, if there be those who are not sure if they had a home in heaven if they died, I pray that your Holy Spirit is tugging on their heartstrings right now, saying, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I pray that he is tugging you and your heart is beating to the point right now you have to have some relief from these counterfeits that you have experienced in the past and, and that there's a hunger and a thirst for righteous living. There's a hunger and a thirst for the real. And all you need to do right now is, is say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I turn, I repent, and I turn towards you. Convert me. I want to live in your presence with the power and all that entails. I give my life to you. That's all God requires of us. An emptying of self and a filling with him. If you, my friends, are backslidden, that means you once 
experienced the presence of God, at least the saving power of God, but you've turned back to the beggarly elements of this world, the base things, the things that matter not. Again, you've turned back. Well, it's just a matter of turning back again. Like I said, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive you and cleanse you. Why don't you take advantage of that? Say, God, I was... I humbly come back to you. And he's not going to be hard on you. I remember the story of the prodigal son, how he came home. And other people wanted to be hard on this backslider. But the father came and put a robe of righteousness back on his shoulders immediately. And the signet ring, the authority of the family. And shoes of purpose back on his feet. And he hugged and he kissed him. And they partied together. And there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party, a coming home party. Like we sang this morning, he leaves the 99 to come find the one. Let's just thank the Lord. If you need healing in your body right now, just thank him because he is the healer. He is the Lord that healeth thee. He sent his word to heal thee. By his stripes you are healed. If you need deliverance, he'll break those chains of addiction. He'll break that depression off of your life. He'll break the thought of suicide, that foul thought. Give your thought life to God. Renew your mind in the word of God. You don't have to believe those lies anymore. Just begin to worship God where you are, all you saints, all you believers. Just shut out the distractions. Lift your hands and close your eyes and say, I adore you, Lord. Let the praise come from your lips. I worship you, my God. I want to live in your presence. I want to bask in your glow. I want to know your glory in my life because you're wonderful. You are unending beauty. You are glorious. You are Adonai. You are Elohim. You are Yeshua, my Messiah. Oh, you are Yahweh. You are the great I Am. And we worship, we adore you. We praise you with, from the depths of our heart, our, our spirits crying out, to see you, to experience you, to know you. To know you like we are known. We're sorry for the things that we've made our worship. We're coming back to the heart of worship. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh, that we may know you and experience you, Father. We worship you. We honor you. We thank you for your power coming into the homes of, of everyone tuning in and worshiping right now. We thank you for your power is present to deliver and to heal. Manifest yourself. Give us a taste. If but a taste, 
right now. Give us a taste so that later this afternoon when I can get in my prayer closet, I, I will hunger and thirst after you like never before. Create in me a heart of worship. Create a clean heart in me. Renew a right spirit within me. Take me from this mere mortality and, and, and help me climb the stairs to heaven and to sit at your feet and to gaze into your eyes and to long after you like I've never longed after you or anything in my life before. You're glorious. You're righteous. You're holy. You are the truth and the way and the life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord, God of power and might, all heaven and earth. All heaven and earth respond to your kindness. We seek you. We praise you. Deliver us, O Lord. Deliver us from the flesh. Deliver us from the bondages in our life. Make us new again. That we may know the power of that resurrection in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my friends, it's just a taste. It's just a taste. We've only begun. None of us have arrived. None of us have plumbed even the surface depths of God's love for us. I pray that you will give yourself wholly to Him and seek His presence above all else. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.